Welcome to Living Southern Oregon, a podcast dedicated to discovering and exploring all Southern Oregon has to offer. I'm your host, Simona Fino, and I will be introducing you to the people who live here, the things they love, and what makes Southern Oregon a magical place to call home. Welcome, everyone. We're here again with another episode of Living Southern Oregon, and today we'll be talking with Garrett Long. So Garrett is a farmer and a soil scientist who believes healing the planet is in parallel with healing the human spirit. He spent five years practicing biodynamic and regenerative agriculture at the biggest little farm in Southern California, which we're going to learn a little bit more about. So before that, he uh, he was doing that and then went to pursue his master's in soils and biogeochemistry from UC Davis. He co-founded Soil Life Services and has served on nonprofit boards and is currently the director of agriculture at Troon Vineyard. Garrett grew up in Washington State, and after having lived in California for 10 years, he accepted the job here at Troon and arrived in August 2021. And now you're here. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. So glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, I love hearing the trajectory. So you grew up in Washington State. Yeah. And how long did you live there before you found your way to California? I lived in Washington my whole life through college. I went to study in Walla Walla, Washington. I did my bachelor's degree in biology. So the first 20-some years of my life was all in Washington. My folks are still there. I very much am a product of the Pacific Northwest and my heart is still here, which I consider Southern Oregon mm-hmm. to be, you know, part <laughs> of the, 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 the Pacific Northwest. I left after college to go pursue farming, basically. I was really enamored with the intersection of plants and animals and ecology and people and climate. And with my background in biology, I felt like agriculture was kind of represented that intersection of all these things that I was passionate about. So I got this opportunity to go to Southern California, Ventura County, about an hour outside of L.A., and do a work exchange. I volunteered for three months on a farm. I got room and board and education about organic farming. And little did I know I would end up staying and working on that farm for the next five years. I go to grad school, came back. And so it was a really formative part of my experience. But ultimately, you know, I, I sort of cut my teeth in regenerative farming and biodynamic practices and learned that. After grad school, I returned back to that farm and have worked on two other biodynamic farms. So sort of if there's a motif throughout the last 10 years of my career, it's really working within these organic systems, farming systems, but then, you know, truly regenerative or there's lots of different names for these types of certifications or approaches to farming but biodynamic and regenerative agriculture are the types of farms and the practices that I've been using for the last 10 years. So after a brief stint in St. Helena in the Napa Valley for about six months on another estate winery, I got the opportunity to come up to Southern Oregon. I heard about this position that was open at Troon Vineyard and applied. And when I came up here to visit, it was my first time actually visiting the area I'd driven, you know, up and down I-5 a bunch of times, stopped in Grants Pass for some gas, as you do, (laughs) continued over the Siskiyous, but this was really my first time actually spending time, and um, the owners of Troon were were kind enough to allow me a couple of days to stay here. They put me up in a hotel to be able to better get to know the area, 
And I did my interview and was thankfully offered the job and started right away because it was harvest season and they, okay. they needed an extra hand in for harvest. Yes. As many vineyards do harvest yeah. is an intense time period. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, okay. I want to go back to the biggest little farm because sure. I did not know about this. I saw that there and I was like, is that just a, yeah. like a little cute tagline name or what? so tell us about that farm because okay. it sounds like they've got a lot of interesting yeah. Thanks. So the title of the documentary film is The Biggest Little Farm. The actual name of the farm is Apricot Lane Farms. And so that, that volunteer program that I went there that I started in 2012, um, the farm started in 2012. So I kind of got in there right at the ground floor. But um, Apricot Lane Farms was recently purchased at that time by a husband and wife who are from L.A. who really wanted to start their own sort of romantic vision of a farm. Molly was a private chef and wanted to grow every kind of fruit and vegetable and herb and animal and everything that you could possibly have on a farm. John uh, is a director in Hollywood and made films for his career. And so they made this decision to leave Hollywood, leave the city and move out to this piece of property, about 200 acres in Ventura County, a lot of lemons and avocados. And it was an old horse farm and it was pretty run down and be down after, you know, more than 50 years of just conventional commercial standard practices. John will tell the story that when he left LA, he left the business. He sold all of his equipment besides one film camera and they were rolling for the first time. They, you know, landed on the farm and were sort of checking it out. And over about the next eight years or so, he really felt like he had a story to tell. And so over that time period, as the farm was transforming, you know, integrating more and diverse different animals, planting a hugely diverse fruit orchard with more than a hundred different varieties of fruit and nut trees, vegetable garden, composting, kind of all of these things that make up this really biodiverse farm were the things that we were doing. And he felt like there was so many lessons in this journey and so many opportunities for learning from failures and struggles and all of the challenges that I think farmers face, especially. Yeah, there's a real interesting story. So they made a film about it and it came out in 2018 and was picked up by a distribution company. It's now available on Hulu. And so, yeah, it's a great, great way to tune in and get to see a much prettier version. This is like a spoken version of sort of my background. And I think what the biggest little farm shows is uh, a sort of visually and aesthetically beautiful version of that transformation of that farm. Mm -hmm. And I think the sort of the spirit of the people in the community working the land as well. Yeah. And I would imagine that is an interesting story because it doesn't happen overnight. Right. You know, you can have those visions and the dreams, but it's a lot of hard work. It really is. And so getting to see that process, I'll bet is fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, I landed there committing to a three month volunteer gig and I had, in my imagination, uh, I was going to go to grad school that, that fall. I landed in July. By that fall, I would have figured out what it was exactly I wanted to go to grad school. I was applying and I was just done with my apprenticeship. And what I realized was that it does take time. That really is you, I barely got my toe dipped in the water to really understand what it was like to manage a farm or experience even one full season on a farm. And so I was totally attracted to staying on and, 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 
And as was the case with many of our volunteers who'd signed up for three months, we couldn't really get rid of them. The, the job that they offered me to allow me to stay on was to run that volunteer program and establish an apprenticeship program. So I got to live on site at that farm for the next two and a half years before going to grad school and live with all of our three month volunteers that came through. So I was the, maybe the first of many that they couldn't just couldn't get to go away. But yeah, so there's something about really immersing yourself in working lands, working hard, feeling satisfied, going to bed tired at the end of the day, feeling like you've made a positive impact on the environment. You're growing food for your community. You're giving animals the best welfare possible. And all of these things I found to be really fulfilling. And I think a lot of people who enter into that kind of work from whatever background you may come from or education or whatever sort of social experience you may have had, that can be a really fulfilling experience. And over the next Yes, almost almost 10 years, I really started to kind of find my groove within farming and within soil science and find those things that really spoke to me and sort of kept me up at night as a as a grad school advisor asked me that question. Like, well, what do you want to go to grad school for? What, what keeps you up at night? What are those things? Yeah. So I came to realize that that was soil science for soil. me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's your study. Then your background is with your master's. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a lot of different areas that you can apply, like do, do practical application of soil science, whether it's agriculture, whether it's mapping soils for engineering purposes and building. There's so many different ways that we interact in terms of recreation or, you know, harvesting clays for ceramics or other art forms. There's innumerable ways I would proudly point to the ways in which we engage with soil in our everyday lives that a lot of people don't necessarily think of. But agriculture for me was the thing that really stu- stood out as the thing that I was most excited about applying this, these, these lessons in this very, again, sort of intersectional study of biology, geology, chemistry, you know, physics, all of these things uniting into one are really the study of soil. And I think that's another sort of thing that I've realized about myself is, is where those it's, it's at those intersections that those nodes that are, that I find myself most attracted to working in sort of trying to cultivate community, trying to create positive change, those sorts of things. And so soils is another one of those areas where it's like, Oh yeah, there's incredible impact that can be made when you think about all of the, you know, innumerable lives and, and different things that soil tends to affect. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially when it's directly involved in food. Yes. And that's something that, you know, you hear frequently about how important soil is and you know it when you've tried to plant something in soil that is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and your plants just are, you know, barely hanging on versus something that's in soil that is alive and really nurtured. And Absolutely. So I think yeah. that we know these things, but to get to the level where you are, I'm sure of just that knowledge has got to be empowering in a way. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think I like to try to empower people with one really simple fact about soil, which is that it is alive. A lot of people don't think about that, especially when you're thinking about sweeping it up off your kitchen floor or, <laughs> whatever, you know, um, it's so often not perceived of as this living being. And the reality is in just a tablespoon or just a handful of healthy soil, there are more living organisms than there are people on the planet. 
more than nine, 10 billion organisms in a handful of soil. And people don't think about that level or diversity, that abundance of life that's literally underfoot. And we so often don't think about it or so many times in our agricultural practices, we're literally spraying toxic things to kill that that ends up killing life in the soil and having all these negative downstream effects. So what I find so like empowering and, and maybe inspiring about soil, it's almost like a religious for some folks that like we come from the soil, we go back, right? Mm-hmm. Ashes to ashes, animals molded out of clay. Like oh, there's so many different religions, Eastern, Western, everything in between in which soil is where all life comes from. And mm-hmm. I know from a very practical standpoint, it's also where we all go back to. It's, it, it takes all of our waste of human society as well as all of the manures and everything that the animals leave out there on the farm. And it just breaks it all down and, and just recycles all of this energy and, and waste uh, as it's so often perceived and turns that back into the building blocks of life. All these little carbohydrates and amino acids and everything that, that then plants and organisms can take back up. And those are the foods that we and other grazing animals and everybody eats. And ultimately, you know, coming from healthy soil are healthy plants and healthy animals and healthy people and healthy communities and ultimately a healthy planet. And to me, it really all starts back at soil. And this really profound lesson that I've learned first back at Apricot Lane Farms and get to try and inspire and everybody in my day-to-day life at Troon now is that if you take care of the soil, first and foremost, if you don't think about all the other things that there are to do on the farm, just what can I do today to go out and take care of soil? You're ultimately going to have the, all of that other positive, you know, downstream effects on all of those other systems. So what would you say for somebody's at home, they've got their home garden or a small farm situation what are the what are the top few things that you think are most important in soil? Mm. It's a really good it's a question. Hard to, to well, hard no, to no, it's down a, to top few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so <laughs> many things I'd love love to say. I think the first one is just to really get your hands in it, to get dirty, to get involved. Especially if you're already gardening, you might know the benefits. But if you've never set up a little vegetable garden or grown even some herbs on the balcony of your apartment or something like that. There, there, there's been some really cool scientific studies that have demonstrated that there are living organisms in the soil called actinomycetes, and they essentially release these aerosols and we breathe them in and they uh, affect the release of dopamine for us. They literally cause happiness by working the soil and sort of disturbing these actinomycetes. And so the whole saying of like gardening is therapy and you get tomatoes too is, is very real has been demonstrated in scientific studies that these organisms are responsible for making us happier when we get in the soil. So one, regardless of where your mental health is, if you're down in the dumps or whether you're on top of the world, getting your hands in soil can, can literally stimulate happiness and the release of dopamine. So I think that's one thing I would mm-hmm. encourage people always to do. And also composting is such a simple way that we can all contribute positively to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Yes, that is important to not, you know, put our organic waste into the trash and into the landfill that ends up creating all of this methane and stuff that impacts climate. But also what you can do is 
create really healthy, fertile soil, compost to go back to feed your vegetables. Mm-hmm. One of the really things, one of the really interesting things that I found about soil is sort of the, the cyclical nature of it. You know, I was talking about that life sort of coming of soil and going back to soil. Those cycles of life and death and rebirth and regeneration and decay and decomposition and all of this kind of going in cycles. What we don't often think about is that, you know, the, the waste, whether it's, you know, the, the butt that you cut off of some vegetable or whatever, that that ultimately can go back to power your garden mm-hmm. to grow more vegetables without the inputs of fertilizers or anything else that you might buy from the store. In fact, that's one of the tenets of biodynamic agriculture is to really limit those outside inputs and really build fertility from within. And I think there's sort of uh, an analogy of, of, of building, you know, a, a better human spirit as well. Mm-hmm. That sort of by limiting this outside need for material goods or stuff or inputs, whatever that might be, that we have all of this sort of love and power and great ideas and charisma and everything already from within. We just kind of need to cultivate that and nurture that. And I think biodynamics provides a lens for sort of the betterment of the human spirit. And as maybe as much of a stretch as it might sound, I think composting can actually do that for people as well (laughs) by literally turning food scraps into next year's garden. Mm -hmm. But there's some personal lessons maybe that can come from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it it is, it is miraculous in a way, right? To, to put that, all that stuff in a big old pile. And then you realize that it, it turns to that beautiful black gold, you know, it really is. And you can do it in the smallest of spaces. I mean, I have a, I live in a duplex and so I don't have a huge yard in the spot, but I've got my composting bin and it, it works and it's, really nice to have that available just for my, my small garden bed. So it doesn't have to be in this massive farm. Absolutely. Type scale. And I think there's another really cool opportunity too, that both gardening and composting can connect you with your neighbors as well. If you live in an apartment building or a duplex or in a city or whatever it might be, there's so many opportunities to meet your neighbors, to talk about, your, you know, hopefully shared desires to maybe grow your own healthy, nutritious, organic food. Can you develop a little community garden plot or can you take part of that little, um, you know, strip of grass that's over by the parking lot? Can you convert that into vegetable production? And those conversations, I think, that come up that that are likely to come about through the lens of health, soil, food, you know, these things that I find really exciting. <laughs> These are good ways that I've found to meet my neighbors. And I think the Southern Oregon community seems to be very receptive to these kinds of conversations as yeah. well. So I think it can be a good sort of a starting place if you're new to the area or new to a building or something like that, just sort of asking, hey, is there a place like anybody growing vegetables or, you know, mm-hmm. offer up your access to your neighbors? I think it's always really fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, such a good way of connecting with people. Gar- I think gardening in general is because yes. <laughs> everybody has their tips and what worked. And then why aren't my tomatoes doing anything? You That's start to it. talk and you realize nobody's tomatoes are doing anything. And okay. It's a, it's a wonderful way of connecting with other people. Yeah, it really is. So then tell us about the work that you're doing here. Cause I, sure. yeah, you're, you're, are you directly involved in the grapes and the vineyard yeah. itself? Or are you just doing, I mean, what, yeah, tell yeah. us what you do here. Sure. 
So Troon Vineyard has been here for over 50 years. This is a historic vineyard for this area. And in fact, in terms of uh, vineyards in Oregon, this is one of the older vineyards. It's the oldest or I believe second oldest in Southern Oregon. And so there's a beautiful history here. We celebrated our 50th anniversary this year. I was happy to be a part of that. And on this little hundred acre plot, we've got half of it as vineyards. And the other half of the landscape is all these other diverse things that I've been talking about. We're rotating and grazing sheep and chickens. We've got two Great Pyrenees guardian dogs that live with the animals 24 seven. We've got a couple acres of vegetables, two and a half acres of cider apples, you know, 40 different varieties of heirloom French cider apples are gonna be killer for the future. Give us a couple years <laughs> before we're making cider. Let's see what else. We're making all of our own compost here on site. We're practicing biodynamics. And uh, more than 10 acres of the 100 is set aside as what we call biodiversity reserves or sort of wildlife habitat. There's a big uh, a pond or a lake on the property. that We've got tons of migratory waterfowl. And we're intentionally setting up more habitat like flowering, you know, pollinator habitats and things like that. So I am overseeing all of the agriculture side of it as the director of ag. Yes, anything that's going on with the vines, with the sheep, chickens, orchards, veggies, compost, certification, all of those things are sort of within my wheelhouse. And I thankfully have a wonderful team that supports me in this. <laughs> I couldn't do it without Adan Cortez, who's been here for the last 13 years at Troon. He knows where every pipe is buried and every water faucet is. And his knowledge and his experience on this property is is what allows me to maybe shine in my role. I couldn't do it without him and the rest of the team. So yeah, we've, we've got a, a great staff of year-round farmers that we keep both in the vines as well as um, help manage the rest of the sort of agricultural enterprises, if you will. And, and so we're making wine. You know, there's obviously the winery is a big part of what draws people out. But in my role in the last... 15, 16 months that I've been here, it's been really to build out the rest of that farm. What are those other diverse things and why are they a part of this, this vineyard system is maybe a reasonable question. And for one, I think it's really exciting. We, this year we built a, a new farm stand. And so this coming season, when we're really, when there's a lot of vegetables and a lot of activity on the farm, you'll be able to come out to Troon and have a glass of wine and also shop the farm stand where we will have sauerkrauts and other, you know, fermented uh, goodies. We've got a fermented green tomato sauce that we're selling right now. All of the abundance that we grow on the farm, we're working with local chefs to turn that into these value-added products. So we're selling both fresh produce and some other products in that farm stand. And I think it can be a really exciting surprise for people to come out. Maybe they've had a glass of Troon wine in the last 50 years or not, but the transformation that's occurred here since 2018, since this property was purchased by new owners, Brian and Denise White, and the transformation in terms of how we're managing the vines, what varietals we're growing here, as well as the diversity of other crops and animals here, uh, really have contributed to this sort of new direction, a new future of mm -hmm. Troon in which you can come by a case of wine and maybe a case of tomatoes yeah. too. <laughs> Excellent. So that's exciting to hear that the farm stand, is that going to be, I'm assuming kind of spring, summer, whenever the first crops of things yeah. come up or do you have a set? No, it's, it's, um, I mean, we've, we've got a walk-in in there, which was one of the main driving forces behind building it in the first place was to have a place to store all of the produce and the abundance that we are growing. 
So there are products stored in there. Right now we've got it closed up because we're also using it as like a drying shed. We're hanging drying herbs and flowers that we harvested as well. Basically, I would guess by about March, we'll probably be having some carrots and some of these other winter crops that we've got going in the garden right now. We'll be harvesting more cabbages and making those all available. But yeah, people can come out really anytime and we'll, we'll grab some of those tomato sauces or vinegar and other products that we have for sale right now. Excellent. Oh, that's going to be exciting to have that as an addition. Yeah. That's wonderful. It'd be an amazing resource, I think, for the community. You know, there's a couple of farm stands up and down Coobley Road out here in the North Applegate, and they're wonderful. I think having all of the, the more farm stands, the better, the more opportunities mm-hmm. to buy your neighbor's eggs when we sell out or vice versa uh-huh. is great. So we're really happy to be, you know, a good 20 minutes from any grocery store and being able to offer fresh organic produce to our community, I think it's going to be really exceptional. And it's always so much better than a grocery store. It really is. It doesn't matter what the grocery store is. I can just say that direct from the farm is so much better. There really is something about it. We've got a couple of um, contractors here on site that are helping us install a new irrigation system. And I was like, hey, you guys grab some some carrots while you're down here in the garden. And they were just glowing about how good the carrots were. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, the frost really helps. It makes them sweeter. And then when you just pull them right out of the ground and just wipe the mud off on your shirt and just chomp on it, there really is something about that, the freshness of that flavor, the quality, the complexity. I mean, you could almost talk about carrots and the reflection of terroir or of this sense of place in the same way that somebody might talk about wine or chocolate or something in that same way. And that is... You know, that's really our intention is sort of like maybe silly as that sounds to some people. I think that produce can really genuinely reflect soil types, climate and a community of of farmers like this farm is really a reflection of everybody who stewards this land. And if you can somehow pick that up in the nuance of a carrot, then like. That's beautiful. You know, we're not, that's not a requirement to come out here. I was going to say, you're starting to put carrots out and have people test, you know, which which part of the Applegate Valley did this (laughs) carrot come from? I would love to try it. Sounds like a great experiment. I just served potatoes at a, at a friend gathering this weekend that was from a local farm here. And they, everyone at the table, like, oh my God, these potatoes are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would not have happened if I had just picked them up from the grocery store. I can tell you that right now. And yeah. they are amazing. That sounds awesome. So, you have to yeah. give me a recipe. <laughs> oh, it was just ro- roasted. That's it. Oh, just I just do anything. And they're just speaking to the quality See, of that's it. a vegetable that is grown. Some, you know, it just, it was, it tasted different. The, the creaminess was there that they're just like, oh, I yeah. Know, yeah. Okay, so then it's not giving you a recipe. It's giving the name the of farmer, your farmer. I can so I can name farmer. Like <laughs> Wandering Fields. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, wonderful person. That yeah. They're both a great couple that own that place and cool. grow, grow fabulous potatoes. So. There's a lot of really beautiful agriculture out here. Mm-hmm. A lot of organics, a lot of people really caring about mm-hmm. the landscape, and just a lot of diversity, too. I think that's one beautiful thing about the Applegate is, you know, sure, there's a lot of wine, there's a lot of cannabis and hemp farms, there's noble dairy, pretty well known, but like, there's just about anything you can imagine from fruit crops to hay and field crops to dairy and meat and livestock and just anything you can imagine you can find right here in the Applegate. And it's really cool, like we were talking about just sharing with your neighbor, sharing that abundance, like that ability to share with each other is is something that I really enjoy about this area. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. And I do, and I love the farm stands because I am, I'm a farm stand. I'm a pullover to the, you know, the little sign that put it, even if it's the, what are they, the honor system ones. I mean, all of those are just so great. And there's just always, especially in the summertime, a plethora. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You do. I used to do a lot of that. Well, in Washington state, we were just talking a little bit before turning on the microphone that Washington state is where I grew up as well. And we used to hit a lot of farm stands. My mom had an epic, huge garden, but we were always at farm stands. It was just something that you did. (laughs) In Washington, we always live for those summer months, right? When the weather is beautiful and the the mono cloud is gone from the sky. (laughs) And it's in those summer months where, yeah, I can't think of a better place to be growing produce and stopping at a nice little farm stands is Washington state. It's really special in the summertime. Yeah, it is. Well, now that you've been here for a little bit, you haven't been here that long, but have you gotten a chance to explore the area much or are yeah. you pretty farm focused? You're here. And you're like... There's, there's times <laughs> during harvest yeah. that are just laser focused. You're working those long 15, 16 hour days. You're finishing it up with, you know, uh, sharing a harvest meal and a glass of wine with everybody else who's been working hard. So there are periods when I first arrived and that we kind of just got through where, yeah, I didn't really look up from the, mm-hmm. from the work at hand, but this summer was actually a really amazing experience. And then if for as much as I love the spring and fall, those are really busy times on the farm. The winter time is also another last winter I got to go out and explore. So I do really love the outdoor activities of this area. I currently live in Jacksonville and getting out to, you know, just two, two and a half hours to Crater Lake. I took this amazing snowy hike all around Crater Lake last winter. And that was my first time ever seeing, I mean, what a spectacular national park. That's really, if you come through Southern Oregon, it's absolutely worth the stop. And I also did a day of snowboarding at Mount Ashland, which I really enjoyed too. Snow. Whistler, Black Comb, it's no veil, but it's like, it's a wonderful little mountain and wonderful mm-hmm. little ski resort. I really enjoyed that too. And then I've also been talking about making plans of getting back out to Crater Lake with some of my coworkers and going snowshoeing. I've mm-hmm. heard that as the rim road yes. around Crater Lake is closed for the winter, you can actually snowshoe it. So I don't know if we got the full 20 some miles <laughs> in us, but we want to get out there and do some snowshoeing as well. So I really love those wintertime activities, but the summer was really special too. I think a prerequisite experience for living in this area in the Rogue or Applegate Valley is you have to go float the Rogue River in a raft, in a tube, uh, stand a paddleboard, uh, uh, what are those propeller boats that people take up the oh, Rogue? Yeah, uh-huh. Like however you do it, you just, you got to spend a day on floating the Rogue. Uh-huh. Um, that was really, really a, a fun time. How did you do it? Intertube. Intertube. Yeah, okay. I had my own little personal tube. Big enough for a can of beer. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So which section were you on? We were from about Gold Hill okay. through kind of like Rogue River area. There's mm-hmm. another farmer, friend friend of a friend um, yeah. who I got to know who was kind enough to let us pull out at his farm. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a great yeah. little easy section. And we had a couple of friends on stand-up paddle boards that were fine. They never had to bail the whole time. They had dogs in the boat and dogs on the, on the subs. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a really fun time. Nice. So, and, and one of the other things I really like, just speaking of, of walking or hiking is really the walkability of Jacksonville. The, the trails up above the Brit are phenomenal. I really 
was proud of myself <laughs> not too long ago this summer, you know, gas prices were through the roof and I was feeling stir crazy and wanted to go for a hike, but I didn't want to drive to a trailhead. And so I literally just walked out my door. I walked over to the Brit and did about a seven mile hike on the trails above the Brit and walked right back to my house. And without ever touching my car keys, I put in almost 10 miles and just right from my own door. Yeah. So that was really cool opportunity. And I mean, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of miles of trails, like really nice developed trails there are both back there as well as up into the Applegate. So yeah, I think the outdoor experiences around here are just second to none. Yeah. Have you, have you been on the Applegate Ridge trail yet? No, I haven't. Um, I, I feel like I was like kind of coming up to it and kept seeing little signs, but no, that's a part of it that I'd really like. Have you hiked it? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And it's, I think it's a good one to do in the summertime. It's a little hot. It can yeah. be because it's pretty exposed in parts. So it can be pretty hot up on the ridge there yeah. as you're going up. It's a little shady, shadier, yeah. but, um, beautiful, epic, epic views looking down over the valley. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. And you can do one way if you want. That's Right. Yeah, it goes for what? Sterling Creek Road for, and then uh -huh. uh, Highway 238. So yeah, down you can do one, Or you can round trip it if you're down for the, I think it's eight miles, nine miles, something total. Oh, that sounds So you great. do out and back, but yeah, beautiful. Okay. Beautiful views. It's on my list. It's on your way here. Yeah. <laughs> you can... I, don't, I don't even have to drive. I'll just take the trail to work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we're very fortunate to have so much beautiful hiking in this area. I yeah. agree. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, one of the questions I always love to ask people is um, just about small businesses. So uh, yeah. is there a small business that you've come across that you think, oh my gosh, these people are fantastic. They're doing such great things. I wish more people knew about them. Because I think yeah. that's part of the struggle that small businesses have, right? They're, they're small. Yeah. They don't, not a lot of people maybe know about them. So absolutely. do you well, have anybody that you... Yeah, there, there's two that immediately come to mind. One is right there in Jacksonville. Again, just walking out my door, I can get to Kimball's Artisan Wine Shop. Josh Kimball is phenomenally knowledgeable. I'm relatively new to wine and viticulture. I don't have a background in that, even though I now live and work on a, <laughs> on a vineyard. And Josh's knowledge of wine, especially wine, you know, European old world wines, really unique natural wines, funky stuff, whatever. He has one of the most unique and well-stocked wine shops. And something I love about Josh is I told him that my brother in Seattle is really into these like funky orange wines or amber wines, like a, not a very common style of wines. And he somehow remembered that in about, let's see, that was Thanksgiving of last year. A year later, as I was preparing to go up and celebrate Thanksgiving at my brother's new house, I told him, he asked me what I was doing that week. And I said, oh, I'm going to go visit my family and spend Thanksgiving. And he goes, oh, so you're here. Are you going to get some orange wines for your brother? He somehow had this incredible recall. And it's not just what my brother likes. It's the kinds of wines that I like. And I think Josh has this incredible ability to recommend exactly what you want. So check out Kimball's. Okay. It's yeah. a really good one right in downtown And orange wine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Try an orange wine if you've never had it before. I have not. Yeah. And the other, the other small business I really wanted to shout out to is called Ernest Baking Co. or company. Chef Carl and Mallory Krauss started this business just a couple years ago when they moved to the Medford area in 2020. 
And they were both chefs that trained at the Culinary Institute of America, spent some time in the East Coast, spent some time in Portland. And then they moved their family, two young kids down here to Medford in early 2020, which is kind of a tough time to settle into a new location. And, and a new business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they immediately, uh, the folks here at Troon, the owners before I arrived here, just struck up a great relationship with Carl. He's, they started preparing meals whenever they would have friends or family in town. Carl's been preparing us harvest meals. He's been doing a lot of the work for developing these products that we're selling in the farm stand. So not only do we have a close personal relationship between Troon Vineyard and Carl or, or Ernest Baking Co., but he also has been so successful that he was able to build out a food truck. And so now he's got this food truck that he can pull around. Um, he's looking for a more permanent place to park it. But, you know, a little Gold Rush cider on Fridays or, you know, this brewery up in Grants Pass here and there. And his food's phenomenal. I'm a little biased because oftentimes he's using Troon produce on his menu, but he's also just working with other local farms. There's, um, what kind of, what kind of food does he serve on the A food lot truck? of like sandwiches, soups, sort of cafe and bakery style. Mal, Mallory is the baker and Carl is the chef. And so she makes all these wonderful breads and cookies and croissants and all of this that, um, that they end up using and featuring in their menu items. So they're kind of a rotating cast of, you know, whatever's good and in season, they'll be able to turn that into some meals. Excellent. Yeah. I love a good food truck. Especially <laughs> some good bread. So yeah, Ernest Baking Co. is another one that I'd really highly recommend. I think you can, you can find them on their website, on Facebook. You can learn where they're parking their trucks and go out and support them and other local businesses wherever they end up parking. Yeah. The food, the food truck scene, I think is, was a brilliant idea. I love how the mobility of being able to, especially for events. Yes. I know I've utilized food trucks for events, just even private events. It's so it. nice to have somebody else roll in cook all the food right? Clean and it all roll out. Exactly. <laughs> I hosted this event where it was just like, I kept thinking, Oh yeah, I can, I've catered. I'll, I'll just, you know, whip up a little, so I'll do something easy. And a friend was like, no, you, you're not going to want to do that. Yeah. You're and it's going to be much easier to just do a food truck. And it, yeah. it was so lovely. Absolutely. <laughs> Never looked back. One thing at Troon is that we don't have a commercial kitchen. We'll, we'll serve, you know, cheese and charcuterie boards and things like that for people who are wine tasting. We don't have a commercial kitchen to make you lunch or dinner. And so to be able to have a food truck come out mm -hmm. here is also another really amazing opportunity out in wine country as mm -hmm. well. So yeah, yeah, the more, more food trucks, the better. If you ask me, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> and they've so far, all the ones that I've tried have been really good. Yeah. So it's like quality. I think again, it speaks to the, the, the desire of a lot of local chefs and restaurants to use local produce, mm -hmm. you know, sure you can bring it in or you can get it from the grocery stores or whatever, but almost every chef, restaurant, herbalist, craftsman, you know, whatever that I meet is so focused on using ingredients mm -hmm. from the Applegate, from this local community. Yeah. There's really something special about the spirit mm -hmm. of this place and of the the lives and agricultural goods and the commodities and the forest and the, you know, mushrooms you can wild forage for and, and all of that. There is really something special about the spirit of the people and the, and the products that come from this place. And I think there's a desire of folks here to maybe reflect on that sort of thing we were talking about earlier of, of limiting those outside inputs, not to say that this community is at all insular or anything like that, but there seems to be a desire to support local small mm -hmm. businesses and really I think it, it helps just build the whole community to support each other in that way. 
It does. I couldn't agree anymore. It's 100%. That is so important. And I think building community in that way, it's a, it's a, it just strengthens that web, right? The more that we're connected to each other and the more that we're relying on each other in different ways, whether it be for food, which is one of the most important, um, or other things, it's just, it helps build and strengthen those connections. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a real need to celebrate those connections as well. You know, I think especially sort of coming out of these tough COVID times where we've all been indoors a lot or by ourselves a lot, isolated so much. I think there's a real need and benefit to our just overall community health and well-being to be able to gather again and celebrate whatever that may be, a holiday, a season, a local gathering, a community event, a volunteer thing, whatever it might be, to be able to go back out there and and meet with people, meet our neighbors. For those of us who are new to the area, meet our neighbors, ingratiate ourselves in the community. This is this is a really, I think, important thing that, that we weren't able to do for a couple of years. So I just really always encourage that, especially when we're on around this holiday season and so many fun events and things like that. Be careful, sure, but gather, you know, really um, lift each other up during Mm -hmm. this time. Be with each other. Absolutely. As as much as we possibly can. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you. I really appreciate this conversation and um, and also all your tips and things as well. That's always fun. Those are two new ones too for me that I have. And this is one of the reasons I love doing this. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right, everyone. Well, we will be back again next week. And I hope you all have a fabulous one and a great holiday season. This podcast is produced by Simona Fino and co-produced by James Dedakis and Jaded Media. Original music by Samuel Lawrence.